Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Forensic Psychology is a podcast that provides an illuminating window into the workings of the criminal mind. Now, here's your host, Dr. Carlos. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back, Andy. Hey, Carlos. It's been some time. Nice to see you again. It has been. I know our listeners out there on the audio podcast, folks, you can catch it also on the audio podcast, Inside the Criminal Mind with Andy Pro- uh, Andy Bringle, Andy Profiler. He's an FBI profiler, folks. If you're watching it on YouTube, you can go catch it on his podcast. Uh, if you're on the podcast, you can catch some of his episodes over on YouTube at the Dr. Carlos Crime Network. Uh, Andy, this is going to be a fascinating discussion today because we're, I know we're going to talk a little bit about the Delphi case, uh, right. the case right now. Yeah, we're going to talk about the two young uh, ladies that were murdered, unfortunately, in 2017. It was uh, February 13, 2017 in, uh, in Indiana. Uh, it's a cold case. You know, it's over four years old. And so, therefore, by definition, technically, it's considered a cold case. There's been some... Uh, advancement in that investigation I want to get to in, in a moment, but I, I want to talk about, yeah, so uh, we'll get back to that case in, in just a little while, but I, I want to talk about the broader uh, topic of cold cases because it really uh, it really speaks to that. Uh, there's been a lot of interesting changes, um, and, and I think some points that the listeners would, I think, find some, some interest in. So, Cold case programs work. That's first and foremost. And you're seeing uh, a lot of research at the National Institute of Justice. In fact, I just bid on on uh, some research out of NIJ to look at uh, standard operating procedures for cold case investigations. Cold case programs work. In fact, when I was in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, a uh, fellow agent, uh, Bill Fleming, took a case, the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing, where um, some little girls were blown up in 19, I believe it was 65, by the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, it was some 30 some odd years had gone by with this case. Two of the subjects, a guy named Blanton and a, another guy named Cherry, uh, had gone, uh, had avoided justice for uh, almost you know, three decades. Bill Fleming uh, worked that investigation as a cold case and was very successful in prosecution of those two uh, individuals. Cherry later bragged about being the person who set the bomb off. Uh, so you can find justice even decades later. Uh, some of the reasons you can do that in today's environment is the advancements in forensic science, uh, biometrics, things like fingerprints. Fingerprints have been around for a long time, but blood and serology uh, testing, particularly DNA, uh, even ancestral DNA has been used uh, in cases to solve uh, cold case homicides. In fact, in 2018, the Golden State Killer, Joseph uh, D'Angelo, uh, was caught through ancestral DNA. So um, we're seeing advancements in that area. Uh, even like video, uh, you, you can actually match up a person's walker, what they call a gate, the biometric gate, 
and match that up with an individual because we all have unique ways of walking and uh, experts can identify that. Voice analysis is another. There are experts that do a voice analysis uh, and that's come a long way uh, because of, of advancements in audio. Uh, also CCTV. I mean, there are literally cameras everywhere. So one of the first things investigators do uh, in a, a homicide is look around for everything from a canary uh, video camera to the ring doorbell to any kind of commercial CCTV. But here's what's really interesting, I think, about cold cases. Uh, in 1965, approximately 80% of homicide cases were cleared. According to the FBI's Uniform Crime Reports in 2017, 60% of homicide cases were resolved. So it's actually dropped in spite of all of this new technology. And so that begs the question and the reason why Department of Justice and the National Institute of Justice interested in studying this is the reason why. Why would this happen? Well, it's estimated there are 250,000 unsolved homicides in the United States and 100,000 have accumulated over the past 20 years, according to research. And the reasons that, uh, that they're um, concerned about this is because a lot of them are caused by serial killers. And one of the things at the behavioral analysis unit, they looked at, you know, who are the types of individuals that commit crime around us? And who do we come in contact with? And so they, they developed a taxonomy, a category of, of individuals that we engage uh, with on a day-to-day -day basis. There are five types. And the, the types or taxonomy are family. You engage with your family. and uh, Friends is a second group. Um, and you engage with them daily. Authority figures, this could be anyone from a police officer to a teacher, anybody that has authority in your, in your community, uh, to associates. And associates are people that you know, but you don't know anything about. And then last are passerbyers or strangers. And uh, you would be maybe not so surprised that serial killers generally come from the passerbyers or strangers. In other words, they don't have a, a, a primary connection with the, the uh, victim. They're predators and they're looking uh, at people as prey. And oftentimes they'll prey on people that they've never known or met. Um, the homeless, the prostitute, the child that they can find who are easy prey. Uh, another contributing factor is the uh, dwindling resources and police agencies. I mean, they have a lot going on their plate, uh, as you know. And so oftentimes it's just dwindling uh, resources that are stretched so thin that these uh, cold cases um, are, are left unresolved. So to that extent, um, uh, because they're harder to catch, the FBI at the federal level established years ago a couple programs. One is the National Center uh, for Analysis of Violent Crime. And um, out of that program, they developed a, a violent Criminal Apprehension Program, or VICAP. And VICAP is designed, it's a database essentially, designed to look at patterns of criminal behavior uh, that might be conducted or, or, um, or, or executed by serial killers. So signatures, if you will. And they, they look at these and they can tie the investigations together across the country. Yeah. So in an effort to assist local and state authorities in tracking down some of these unsolved crimes and particularly the ones that involve serial killers, the FBI established out of the Behavioral Analysis Unit, the uh, National Center for Analysis of Violent Crime and the VICAP program, the Violent Criminal Apprehension Program. That, that program basically is a database that looks at signatures of, of crime, murders, 
that have been unsolved and tries to tie them together in some pattern uh, for investigators to, uh, to develop leads. Um, there are a lot of research in the area of unsolved crimes and, and cold cases. By one research study, uh, it indicates that 15% of homicides are caused by serial killers. And a research study out of uh, Indiana University uh, and Purdue University uh, indicates that up to 2,000 people a year are killed uh, by serial killers. They really don't know, and that's the problem uh, with these uh, cases, because oftentimes you don't even know where the victim is. Um, So there's some notorious uh, cases, uh, cold cases, by the way. Uh, and they're around all 50 states. I'll give you some examples, um, Carlos. Alabama, for example, in June 1984, a 12-year-old, uh, Sherry Lynn Marler, went to town with her stepfather to run errands. So he was in the bank signing some papers. He gave her some money to go buy some soda. Uh, she went to a vending machine, and he was got 15 minutes. That's all it took, 15 minutes, and she was kidnapped and uh, has never been seen since. Um, in Alaska, passengers on a fish, fishing boat called the Craig in 1982, eight people, including a man and his pregnant wife and their two children and a teenager, uh, were shot to death aboard a fishing boat called the Investigator. I'm sorry, the Investor. And uh, this was on September 6, 1982. The killer was believed to come back to the boat the next day after he killed all the victims and set the boat on fire. Um, again, there. Every state has uh, these types of cases. In Colorado, back in 1996, I'm sure you remember the Jean Bonnet Ramsey case. She was found dead in the basement of the family home in December 1996. Uh, There were cords uh, around her right wrist and neck, and she was wearing her favorite uh, pageant nightgown. She was a little kid that did pageants. Um, Her parents, both uh, John and Patsy Ramsey, were suspects in the case. Uh, DNA evidence uh, processed showed that uh, from her underwear indicated the involvement of two unrelated people. That case was never uh, solved. It's still a a cold case. Another famous case uh, was in uh, Las Vegas, uh, Nevada, and that involved uh, Tupac Shakur, the the famous rapper. He was killed in a drive-by shooting in 1996. Uh, September uh, 1996, uh, he was coming out of of a club and at a red light, uh, gang uh, rivals, uh, are suspected in that case, but he was shot to death, and and that case has never been solved. Uh, I could go, you know, through this list. There's, you know, all 50 states, and all 50 states have them. Um, there's a case in Wisconsin where seven women affiliated with the University of Wisconsin Madison died in what they call the Capital City Killings between 1968 and 1982. Never solved. A suspected a serial killer. Uh, that was probably affiliated with the university or certainly familiar with the university, uh, killed by strangling and stabbing um, these these women. All the victims had long hair. They all lived in Madison, suggesting the murders were the work of a serial killer. Um, And the police have not been able to solve that uh, capital city killings. So now let's fast fast forward to February 13th, 2017, and the unsolved murders in Delphi, Indiana. Uh, made famous in the podcast, The Down the Hill Murders, um, or infamous, I should say. So authorities are now saying that they're looking in the possibility that there might be a connection in those murders in in an individual that was recently arrested in a nearby town. Uh, The the murder uh, in Delphi, I think, is interesting, and I think you have some information that you'd like to share about it. 
Actually, before we get to that, uh, Andy, can you define for us serial killers? How is that oh. defined? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question and, and, and a very critical and basic one as well. So uh, a serial murderer, a serial killer, if you prefer, is someone who commits uh, the unlawful killing of two or more victims uh, at two different or separate events. So a person who kills more than two people over a course of several events. Um, they often have a signature that they uh, repeat. And uh, that repetitive nature of their acts can lead to their, um, to their capture. So when we look at serial killers, oftentimes it's an investigative hypothesis based on the crime scene and the evidence that's collected. And so the investigator will assume we have a, a person defined by the events as a serial killer. And, and that's how it's worked. So now I'm going to go ahead and read to you the Delphi case, folks. At 1.35 p.m. on Monday, February 13, 2017, 13-year-old Abigail J. Abby Williams and 14-year-old Liberty Rose Lynn Libby German were dropped off by German's older sister, Kelsey, on County Road 300 Northeast of the Hoosier Heartland Highway. The girls were hiking on the Monone High Bridge over Deer Creek, and he's going to give us some insight why that matters among road woodland in remote Deer Creek Township. At 2.07 p.m., Libby posted a photo of Abby walking the bridge. After this, they weren't heard from again. They were reported missing around 5.30 p.m. after they failed to meet Liberty's father at 3.15. The families initially searched for the girls themselves before calling the police. Authorities who quickly searched the area did not initially suspect foul play in the disappearance. However, this changed when the bodies of the girls were found around noon the next day, about a half a mile east of the abandoned Monon High Bridge. The bodies were found on the north bank of Deer Creek. What, uh, what insight can you provide here, Andy? Well, I'm gonna preface by saying that um, anything regarding the current most recent events in this particular case, um, I would caution anybody to, to make any conclusions. The, uh, the police, the authorities in a neighboring town have made an arrest on a, on a totally different uh, investigation that may be related to the Delphi murders, but we have to be very, very cautious trying to make any connections without proper evidence. Uh, having said that, back in uh, 2017, Indiana State uh, Police um, issued some information, including a photograph uh, taken from a video camera from the, the, the uh, cell phone. Um, so uh, in that case, uh, I believe it was Libby, um, took the cell phone, she was the one videotaping and, and she captured the audio and the image of the murder, the suspected murder. Uh, she put the phone in her pocket. The murderer didn't, evidently didn't see that. Uh, the audio is muffled because it's in her pocket, right? So it's not, a very, and it's a very short audio, so it's not very clear. It'll be interesting to see um, as they go on and if they capture this uh, subject uh, that's responsible to see if they can pattern the voice to the audio captured on the camera because in fact, it wasn't a clear audio. And, and that, that science is very difficult at best. So that'll be an interesting part of this investigation. Uh, secondly, you, you alluded to the location. The location is very remote in this park. Um, it's known to the locals. It was certainly known to Abby and Libby, uh, German, but um, it, it's very difficult for people outside the area to even know it existed. Uh, the, the, uh, railroad tracks, the, the trestle was an old one. So it was, the trains weren't running any longer. In fact, 
it dead ended on the other side. So um, it's speculated by the authorities in this podcast. They talk about it. The girls knew where they were. The bad guy probably knew where, where these girls were going, that they would be trapped and they would have no way out except across the, the, the tracks or down the hill. And so, uh, the, as I mentioned earlier, you know, the, the, the stranger, the bypasser who happens to be a serial killer, they stalk their prey, they're predators, and they look for opportunities to exact their, uh, their violence. And one of the interesting things I found about the podcast in, in this particular case was the uh, state superintendent was very um, cautious about the uh, information he gave to the public regarding the condition and violence that was, that was uh, um, put upon these young, young uh, victims. Uh, there's a number of reasons for that. But um, typically in these cases, you'll see uh, serial killers who, you know, and, and again, when you talk about st- their signature, oftentimes, not in all of them, but oftentimes there's a, uh, a, a sexual component to it. And oftentimes these uh, individuals have a high need, serial killers, one of the, the common traits, they, they have a high need for controlling their victim. They want to see the victim, uh, whether it's Dennis Rader or whether it's um, uh, this particular case or any other, they want to see the victim suffer. They want to have control over the victim. They want to see that victim in fear. They want to see it in their eyes. They often want to see it at the point of death. They want to control that victim in every sense. Um, With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So it's it'll be interesting to see uh, when the evidence comes out uh, if there is a signature that is common to the person that they, evident, they eventually bring to justice in terms of evidence. Um, It's also very common that a serial killer doesn't get caught the first time, you know, because it's two murders, right? Over two separate uh, incidents, at least two. And in most cases, it's many more than that. So um, it's going to be interesting to see if they can make those connections and if there is that pattern. Now, having said that, um, it's in the news. So I'll, I'll speak briefly about this part. Um, there is a uh, person of interest that uh, was arrested in, in the neighboring town. Uh, I will say this about that, uh, that lead and, and that news. Um, it's an open source, but an individual was arrested uh, this past week on suspicion of kidnapping a nine-year-old and sexually assaulting. So I'm not saying that there is a correlation or a connection between these uh, two crimes, but there may be a sexual component. That's one of the things that they will look at. Uh, police found the girl chained inside a basement 
Um, she claimed that she had been choked and assaulted. Uh, her clothes had been ripped off of her. Uh, she had been sexually assaulted, brutally beaten. Uh, she was bitten by a dog. And the individual that was arrested was, um, was charged with attempted murder. Uh, so, it'll, as I mentioned, it will be very interesting to see what type of evidence is collected in this particular case. 20 miles away, this subject uh, in this kidnapping case lives 20 miles away. I would consider that still to be local. 20 miles, I know the parks 20 miles from my house. My wife and I hike those parks. So, um, again, the person is innocent until proven guilty, but it appears that the uh, police have at least new leads in this cold case investigation. Yeah, I just wanted to make some comments if that's all right with you. Yes. One thing is surprising folks, um, as he mentions that individual that is the new person of interest, there have actually been four others uh, prior to him that had incredible criminal records as well. And similar, and I think one, it appears, Andy, I don't know, it appears that whatever video she captured on the phone doesn't really get a good glimpse at the individual because they've had four other persons of interest, but they do have a stature. They know the height of the individual, at least they're ballparking it because the suspects that they had originally were all short under five, right. nine, no offense to anybody, but five, nine, five, eight, somewhere around there. So they, they seem to have that pin, pinpointed. The other thing that was interesting about that, um, it was really amazing. And thankfully she's okay. Cause the, the, the police were knocking on the guy's door. He was actually, he had her in the basement, I believe. And he was beginning, he was brought to her to the basement, began to rape her when he was interrupted by the officers knocking on his door. Talk about, whew, thankfully. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the first responders get high praise uh, and, and they deserve it. Um, again, you know, we go back to this individual is suspected of uh, assault and kidnapping in this particular case in Indiana, um, unrelated to the Delphi murders. Uh, the investigators will do their due diligence. They they will look at you know everything from DNA to what you mentioned the gait and the height and, and compare it to the video. They'll look at all the physical evidence uh, to see if there is a connection. Uh, we'll have to wait for that. Uh, having said that, um, you know it's a it's an interesting um, um, process that the police go through because they're going to be diligent. They're going to be uh, they're going to be conservative. Uh, they're going to take uh, their time in doing, making sure that what they do uh, follows the rules of law in terms of the evidence, because in fact, uh, this case, um, you know, needs to be solved and, and proven in a court of law, particularly if, if they, they were fortunate enough to, uh, to, to find the suspect that was responsible for the Delphi murder. So, um, you know, it's also interesting when you look at this uh, case that, it can be, you know, two people, as we mentioned. Um, and in fact, if it's just the, the murder is just responsible for uh, Libby and, and, and Abby's uh, death, that person wouldn't be defined as a serial killer. Certainly a monster, certainly a murderer, right? Um, if that person was involved in other murders. And so you may have a, a suspect in a kidnapping case. Um, and that's what it is, a kidnapping case at this point. It's not a murder case. Uh, and it, it wouldn't be a serial killer case if there weren't at least another victim or two other victims or three or more other victims in, in other locations. So uh, I know everyone 
you know, has looked at the side by sides. The police have issued, you know, sketches of, of suspects two different times. And the police have cautioned uh, the public not to take this as, as evidence and put, you know, pictures of people they've known, in some cases, ex-husbands or boyfriends side by side. And I know people are doing that with this new suspect as well. I've seen it on online. And, you know, my, uh, you know, cautionary note is don't jump to conclusions. As an investigator, I've had suspects that I truly thought were responsible for the crime. And it turned out circumstantially, they just met the, the evidence, uh, but did in fact, did not commit the crime. Part of my job as an FBI agent was to gather the evidence objectively. And if that exonerated the suspect, then that was just as helpful as finding the subject uh, who was responsible because it eliminated somebody uh, who otherwise would have been brought to, you know, injustice. So, uh, you know, I, I, I tip my hat to, to the state police in Indiana, uh, the local police, certainly the local police in the community um, where the kidnapping occurred. Uh, again, we're, we're, we're intentionally being vague about this because um, we, we don't want to, uh, to spread a rumor. Uh, but at the same time, I think it's a very good study in how police uh, operate and how they can put uh, pieces of uh, investigations, disparate investigations together and, and possibly solve bigger, bigger investigations. I'm just gonna add a couple of things here with the POIs, a person of interest. We have Paul Etter was one of the first ones. They thought he was possible, a possible suspect. He actually got into a five hour standoff by police and died by suicide. Um, right. So he's out. Daniel J. Nations was cleared eventually, but he he had a really similar. Um, they said they had a lot of similarities in his case compared to the other individuals, which I'm going to ask you a question about that in a minute. And then another guy was Thomas Bruce. Uh, he was charged with no fewer than 17 ca felony counts, but he had a similar stature. As what I was mentioning earlier, five foot seven to five foot nine. Another guy, Charles Eldridge, same thing. Um, but it looked like that he was cleared as well, at least for now. They even called the FBI into Charles one, actually. So two big, two very large investigations that uh, I was a part of in my FBI career. One involved the um, murder of a federal judge with a bomb. In that case, and, and, and I won't mention the gentleman's name because he was a suspect and he was proven innocent. Uh, but at one case, at one point in that case, we, the FBI was sure they had the right guy. Uh, and they actually went into his property, a septic tank of his property, looking for a typewriter. Uh, they, the theory was that he uh, had typed some letters to the media and then dismantled the typewriter and threw it, the parts down his septic tank so nobody would get it. The FBI literally sent individuals into the septic tank. You can imagine what's in the septic tank, right? Uh, not, not the particularly best duty to be, no pun intended, uh, uh -oh. to, to have. Um, I did not have that duty, but in any case, the, the person was exonerated because of the work of the investigators, right? It ended up being Walter Leroy Moody, who was found guilty, sentenced to death and executed by the state of Alabama in that case, not the other person. Then fast forward several years later, uh, 1996 Olympics, bomb goes off in Atlanta, right? Uh, another person, famous guy, uh, he's passed away since, wanted to be a police officer. I won't mention his name. Uh, but he uh, he was suspected of being the bomber. Wasn't him. Uh, they made a movie about him. Uh, Clint Eastwood recently made a movie about the guy. Right. So there was a lot of attention on this person of interest. But and, and the police were right to do that. You have to eliminate every suspect. But he was not. 
the, the uh, person. His life was disrupted. He had a lawsuit against the media and, and, and the FBI and everybody else. But the police have to look at every suspect. It turns out uh, that same bomber from the Olympics went to Birmingham, Alabama, where I worked and blew up an abortion clinic. And uh, he was then a fugitive for seven years. And uh, Eric Robert Rudolph was his name. And I worked that case for three years. And he was the killer. He's in jail for the rest of his life. No parole. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's it, these cases are not easy. They're not easy. And so I tip my hat to the state police, the local uh, police departments that are working this um, this murder, this double homicide, uh, as well as the, the uh, attempted uh, murder and kidnapping of this nine year old in the neighboring town. I guess my uh, one of my last questions before we get ready to wrap up, they're going to be looking, I'm assuming they already have looked at um, the way the body was left. Uh, we know she was sexually assaulted. That's going to determine a lot. Um, how the body was left with clothes, no clothes, how it was positioned, if it was positioned, do you try to hide the bodies? These are all you're things that kind of give us a clue of what the, what the murder So you're was. talking about the nine-year-old that was rescued, not not the two that were murdered. The two that were murdered. The two that were murdered. Yeah, so I don't, yeah we yeah, don't have that information, but they are going to be looking at that, right? That's going to make a big difference. What do they look yeah, for when I they look for that, that body and stuff? I mentioned that earlier. You're absolutely right. They're going to look at the, at the crime scene uh, in Delphi and they're going to compare it to the crime scene, even though it was interrupted. Um, and they're going to look at that closely. They're going to look at it mostly for you know, physical evidence. They're going to look at you know, uh, the serology and DNA, uh, fingerprints, those things. Now that they have somebody, a person of interest, now they have sort of a backboard to you know, uh, bounce the evidence off of and see and see if there's any uh, anything that's that's uh, similar or connected. And uh, if they do that, they'll have good. That's what they're looking for. Good evidence. I, I guarantee you they're going to have experts look at the video and, and the gates and they're going to look at the audio. There may not be enough audio. I can't tell you enough times I have sent stuff to the laboratory, particularly handwriting exemplars, and uh, it'll come back inconclusive. The last thing an investigator wants to see from a lab report <laughs> is inconclusive. Right. Um, they should but have that DNA happens. for this one, right? They're going to probably have uh, DNA from this guy. You know, again, I don't want to speculate. They no. have not said anything that I've seen. It was not in the podcast that, that I heard um, that they have, uh, you know. It's interesting. Logically, you figure if he just sexually assaulted the two girls who were killed, I'm right. assuming. I don't know either, but I, I'm just kind of guessing for people. And the other thing I guess I'm looking at is you mentioned something earlier. And now if this is the suspect, which we don't have no idea. He sexually assaulted her, but he was raping her when she was alive. And there's a difference, folks, between the ones who rape them when they're alive and the ones who yeah. don't want to see them, don't want to see them suffer and kill them and then rape them afterwards. Right. Necrophilia. Yeah. It, yeah. There, you know, again, it could be part of the signature. Uh, it, 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 there are a lot of different uh, things. I mean, obviously, he, he uh, in this case, this uh, suspect. And let's be clear, separate that case from the Delphi case. Um, there are a lot of dissimilarities. Right. He. You know, serial killers usually don't do it in their own home, uh, you know, sure. more people. Now, John Wayne Gacy did, you know, uh, so it can happen. Uh, Dahmer did. Uh, it can happen. Uh, but, uh, you know, oftentimes they will go out and seek the, the prey. Um, so I'm just really hesitant without actually being, you know, I, I like when I make bread, I like to feel the dough. You know, I, I, I want to put my hands in it and, and see the evidence myself. Uh, so I'm very hesitant, um, you know, to just extrapolate, uh, you know, 
um, disparate pieces of information and try to draw a conclusion. So I'm not being coy. I'm not trying to be cute. I, I, I think that this is a good lead in this Delphi case. But in and of itself, we know this. The first responders prevented a young nine-year-old from being murdered in a basement of a home. She was chained up. She was naked. She was viciously attacked by a dog and this man that owns the home. And if that's all that comes from this, thank God for those first responders and tip my hat to those police officers that do a great job each and every day out there. Before we wrap up, Andy, can you give us a little bit of insight on sexual, sexual sadism and its relationship with serial killers? Yeah, you know, I mentioned earlier that, you know, serial killers, they have a, a, an impulse, a compulsion, a need for control. And uh, oftentimes that manifests itself in sadomasochistic type of, of sexual deviance. And so if you go to the FBI's uh, basement, uh, the FBI Academy, uh, where the old behavioral science unit was, and uh, now it's behavioral analysis unit, they had um, a research uh, program called the Evil Minds Research Program. Uh, they would gather, the, the, the unit would gather evidence um, on these cases, these, uh, these past serial killer cases. And almost all of them had either heterosexual or homosexual sadistic sexual manifestation um, in terms of the crime. Um, whether it was the BDK killer, whether it was um, uh, Ted Kaczynski, uh, Don, Ted Kaczynski, who was uh, Bundy, Bundy, yeah, Bundy yeah. excuse me, Bundy, whether it's a Dahmer, whether it's Tom, uh, John Wayne Gacy, there's a sexual component. Um, here's, the, here's the hesitation. We don't know the evidence and the Delphi murders. We know that they were brutally assaulted based on the description by the police in the podcast. They've been very hesitant to give details uh, and any details regarding any sexual assault. We do know from the affidavit uh, filed in Indiana that the uh, individual that was arrested for the attempted murder, the kidnapping and attempted murder, um, that he engaged in sexual assault against the victim, um, that he beat her and strangled her. That, that would be you know, sadistic sexual assault with a high level of individual control over the victim. Having, now, having said that, can you extrapolate that to, to the other case? I, I, that's where I would hesitate because we don't know. Uh, the investigators, the, the profilers that are assisting uh, in this investigation are in a much better position to make that determination uh, or that um, you know, um, subjective uh, assumption and then to look for the evidence that backs it up. Um, certainly a, a podcaster you know, that's uh, reading it from open source, a responsible one would, would never say that there's a connection. Uh, but your your absolute your question is very good and it's valid. There is a history, uh, a pattern of serial killers that have this compulsion to sadistically control, sexually sadistically control the victim um, before they kill him or after they kill him. Always great insight, Andy. Thank you so much again. Thank you, Carlos. I enjoy it every time we get together. Folks, make sure to go to behavioralscienceunit.com. Or- it's the company's Behavioral Science Unit LLC. Is it Behavioral Science Unit LLC.com or just Behavioral Science Unit? Um, yeah, so the, they can find it at uh, www.behavioralscienceunit.com. And keep in mind that, yeah, so I do this as a little side thing. Uh, we also do uh, due diligence investigations. We do research. And my bread and butter is I do a lot of training on stress management, resiliency, mindfulness training, emotional intelligence, 
Uh, we do training and, and, and lectures on extremism, cognitive closure, closed mindsets, persuasion, and influence. So uh, contact us if you need our services. We'd be happy to help you out. Make sure everybody support our podcast is share and subscribe. Hey, smash that like button. We truly would appreciate it. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.